Hey everybody, this is Steph. We're making some changes again with all of the Geopets Podcast Network podcasts. We are recombining them into just, just, into the Geopets Podcast yet again. And we are switching platforms to do so. This is going to take a few weeks to do, but I've got some new episodes that'll come out as soon as that's over. Some stuff about podcasting, some stuff about language and... um, I think I even have a new coffee one. So um, yeah, hang tight. And uh, more importantly, please follow me on the socials, either at Steph Fuccio on Twitter or Instagram or at, at Geopets Podcasts or Geopets. You'll notice the logo will match. Um, it's been a while, so I've actually fallen off of a lot of the social medias because I thought that the podcast was over, but there's some new developments and some new projects and some new people I really want you to be involved with and to, you know, reconnect. I want to reconnect with you. So happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate this time of year. And know that in 2022, we'll be coming back with a vengeance. Oh, that sounds, that sounds bad. We'll be coming back with a delight. There, that's much better. All right, let's do that one. Okay. Bye. We're here. And with any, and you know this, you're a performer. I can delete anything afterwards. So if there's anything that strikes you afterwards that you go, oh, I really don't want that to be in the world, then just let me know and I'll, I'll edit it from the final, before it reaches the final version. Sure, sure, sure. All right. So we're recording there. I double record because I am a paranoid person. Da, 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 da. Cool. Well, thank you, Creatrix Tiara, for joining us on the virtual expat today. Hello. <laughs> can you please? If you can hear a bowl in the distance. It is my brunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm a writer, performance artist, also an emerging producer and activist. A lot of my work, especially in the arts, has to do with being queer, person of color, an immigrant, uh, living with mental health issues. It's sort of how that intersects in both political and personal terms, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whether it's true, like, oh, this is like my direct experience with immigration, which I've done, like, a bunch of things, but I made a couple of games. I think you reviewed one of them. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it a lot to no end because it's the bane of my existence. (laughs) (laughs) Other things that are like, of my current interest like my big project right now is looking at all of the queer possibilities of stage magic which is fun um and just uh, i'm rambling i'm on a wig <laughs> i also have a staff writer for autostraddle which is a international woman's queer web magazine and i sign up for anything that looks interesting which is my life motto <laughs> Wow. So you've got a lot going on, basically. <laughs> yeah, you might need to edit a bit of that because like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's fine. I, I I didn't even think I was an um and all person until I started to record the podcast. And then I was just oh, terrified yeah. by some of the shit I said. And I was like, oh, my God, what? Yeah. So don't even worry about that. I do edit. I do. I do. All right, so let's start with your your onlineness. <laughs> uh, when did you first start using the internet in mass? And by the internet, I include everything: email, websites, social media, just everything. So the internet came to my town in Johor Bahru, Malaysia, around 1995. Mm-hmm. 
and I was about 10 years old mm-hmm. and I have been online pretty much since. <laughs> One year I took off because we had like, like every so often in Malaysian school system, there's like big national exams. Yeah. And there was one year when I was 12 that my parents were like, get off the internet, you have to study. And like they allowed me on one day to write on like Princess Diana's online condolence book because she had died that year. Yeah. But other than that, I was like, they were not allowing me back on. And then I got back on and the, next, the year after, I just never. Really <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. I'm so jealous because I... Uh, I'm I'm older than you, and I didn't get access to the internet until, oh gosh, what was I, like 28, 27, 28 years old? And I always mm. thought, oh my gosh, if I had this growing up, because I was like a library freak and I read a lot and that kind of thing, so I'm like, if I had the internet when I was younger, I would yeah, not yeah, yeah. ever left my room. I'd be like, I'm sorry, everything I need is right here. I'll be here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And I grew up sort of isolated from you, especially as a teenager, because we moved out of the city and not like there's anything to do in my city really but like we moved even further and so I was isolated a lot of the internet was my real only social creative mm. anything outlet mm-hmm. so and you know my family would like make fun of me for being addicted to the internet but I'm like there's nothing else for me to do I have read every book in the house twice <laughs> everyone lives far away and does not really want to hang out with me because we live too far away from everything and there's nothing right. to do in this town except shop and who wants to go shopping all the time exactly. and I'm getting every, all my all my needs met online and it's oh. interesting too because like you know people talk about oh those millennials are on their phones since they were like two and on the one hand, you know, when I talk about stuff, like, like oh, yeah, I've been on the internet. And I meet, you know, my, I was on a computer when I, since I was two years old, even mm-hmm. before I could talk, really. Mm-hmm. And there's a, like, a little picture of me in, like, as a four-year-old, or, like, a very old desktop, which is adorable. But, um, <laughs> but also, it's like, it wasn't that common when I, when I was growing up. Like, the internet was super new. And, like, people were familiar with computers, but nowhere near the extent that I was. Like... Mm-hmm. My school's IT department was me. (laughs) (laughs) When you were, when you were in like primary school? Well, not so much primary school, but like secondary school, we had like a little computer room. Yeah. You could be like a sort of prefect for that room. So you had shifts and mandler room, but it was basically like, who was the person in the school that knew computers best? (laughs) So so on the one hand, I did have that kind of like, oh, millennials in the computers lifestyle. Like this was very unusual. Mm-hmm. I stood out, you know, yeah. for having, so spending some time online. Yeah. I, if I was born like a decade later, then it would be super common. But back then, it was just me, this weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> you started a trend. <laughs> sort of. I, uh, yeah, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> so let's, let's dig into it. Do you remember what you were doing online at 10? Was it like communication, games, website? There was a I wish I remember the name, but there was this one website that was for kids and basically was getting kids to write. Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember, you could get like you could ask for books to review, mm-hmm. which was very exciting. So I always pick like the laziest books, so I was also a bit of a lazy bastard. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you could like write stories on there. Geo CDs had just begun or something. Yeah. So I was on the chat rooms a lot. Yeah. And it was yeah. back when GeoCities had like the sort of neighborhood things going on. So you weren't yeah. just like GeoCities.com slash your username, but GeoCities.com slash area 51 slash 
50212, you know, the, like they distract with this neighborhood system. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's what I did as a kid. It was a lot of writing. Oh, and wow. Blogging before blogging was a thing. Right, and right, right. But that's yeah, that an insanely useful thing to be doing. Why would people be complaining that you're spending too much time online if you're learning, like honing in on that skill? And right, I don't get it. What's the complaint? Uh, <laughs> well, my parents were just like, go do something. I was like, what else do you want me to do? Yeah. Like, you, I you grow up watching stuff about, you know, like, American media is like, oh, you're grounded, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I would, I don't see why this is a problem. No, no. Like <laughs> I, said, I, I, I grew up without the internet and I have an unreal amount of television experiences under my belt for that very reason. And I'm like, if I was online, I would have had so much more like interesting, relevant, like worldly kind of stuff as opposed to bad sitcoms. <laughs> right, wow. Yeah. wow, 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 wow. It's so interesting because it seems like it sounds like people were like demonizing the electronics instead of the actual like what were you doing with it? I mean, I don't know they're necessarily demonizing. I just they just couldn't quite get the appeal necessarily. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I grew up as a minority kid mm -hmm. and I was the only one of my racial background in school and I that was the cause of a lot of pain. You know, mm -hmm. I dealt with racism from teachers and students since I was a very young child. Right. And living sort of further away as a teenager when my family moved didn't quite help that and that I was feeling very lonely I was feeling very isolated very lonely mm -hmm. felt like I didn't belong sort of both in the literal sense and in the figurative sense yeah and especially as someone who ended up like I struggled with dealing with being queer like yeah. I couldn't accept it for myself yeah and just like I sort of knew that I was different in a way that I couldn't quite articulate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Whereas like a lot of people who like they weren't necessarily demonizing the internet as oh my god this is the worst thing ever but more like why when you have go outside and play soccer you know yeah. like why spend all your time on a computer basically right. and for me it's not just like oh I'm mindlessly on a computer this entire time it's no this is I'm engaging with people who get me for who I am right understand me who tell me something about the world that I would not have gotten otherwise mm -hmm. with the very restrictive media and education system we have. And in a way, in many, many ways, it's changed my life. Like, I've had incredible experiences that were only really made possible through the internet. Right. Even from very early on. Like, I've met some very interesting people. I've got friends that I met when I was 16. I'm still close friends with now because yeah. of the internet, you know? And I think people, like, even now when people are like, oh, people are on their phones, they've forgotten to communicate. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. And it's especially a good tool when the people you're communicating with aren't physically next to you. Mm -hmm. But you still connect. And actually, this is slightly besides the point, but it might be interesting. Um, the ABC, which is like this Australian media competition, uh, uh, the government-owned media system in Australia, mm -hmm. they just published this thing yesterday, mm -hmm. which was basically like this online photo essay where they went to people in the city and ask them what's on your phone. Okay. And so it was basically like this bunch of random snapshots in downtown. And they asked like, hey, I'm showing us your phone. And someone was like, oh, I'm telling, I'm sending a message to my husband, telling him to put tights on our six-year-old because it's cold outside and she sometimes forgets to wear them. So okay. I was like, I am on Tinder telling this guy, I've been seeing that I don't think I want to see him again because I don't think we click. Yeah. Or I was, 
someone was like, I'm here visiting from overseas and my friend has asked me to look for this particular landmark and so I'm on a treasure hunt. Yeah. It sounds like, I'm watching Lucifer and I'm addicted to this TV show. And it's like, you have to watch it before work. I have a meeting at 8 a.m. So it was like, you know, all of these people, like if you look from the outside, they're just on their phone. Right. But when like you hear about what they're doing on their phone and you can see the screen and they're like, no, there's an actual... Mm-hmm. creative, communicative, bonding thing happening. Right. It's not just the phone. It's so many things. It's really not. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. I, <laughs> I taught at universities in the U.S. for a bit, and I'm, I've always been pro-technology, but mm. a lot of the teachers were struggling with the students on their phones. And I was like, well, what are they doing? Because I, I looked, I kind of look over and I'm like, oh, you're, you have a dictionary out or, oh, you're taking notes. That's fine. You're using it right, yeah. in the moment. That's cool. Now, if you're playing a game or you're on social media and you're being loud and distracting other people, then we need to talk. But they just automatically yeah. assume because it was the phone, they were just goofing off. And I'm like, well, there's a really big difference there. <laughs> on what, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it, it is a tool. It depends on what's happening with it. Yeah. So, okay, so even, what, did you say that even at 10 years old, you were in chat rooms talking to people and getting to know people from different parts of the world? Or was that later? Yeah, like, Geocities had, like, because you know, of the whole neighborhood thing, they had, like, sort of neighborhood-specific chat rooms. Oh, wow, okay. Very I remember, cool. like, holding a wedding ceremony on there once. It's, like, my one memory of this chat room. Whoa! And, you know, like, this kid's writing website also had spaces, so like, forums. Yeah. And... This was like just before instant messaging systems mm-hmm. were a thing. So it was all mostly like web-based. But yeah, yeah, they were just like connecting to people a lot from around the world. And oh, you know, like email groups were a thing. Yeah. Newsletters. Sort of like what before Yahoo groups were like that kind of idea. That, yeah. What, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember zines? You know, it's interesting because zines weren't really much of a thing in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. I think uh, partly because our mail system is not the greatest. And also, uh, our media is very restrictive. Like, mm-hmm. even now, you have a new government for the first time ever. And even then, it's not super clear if they're going to, like, make it less restrictive. So, like, the idea of you being able to publish something without getting this very complicated government license. Right, right, right. Was hard to fathom. And I think maybe if I was in certain other cities, maybe I would have been near more of a zine culture. Because I know there's definitely a zine culture in Malaysia now. But I know people are involved in it. But I think that's where the internet actually flourished for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Especially those of us who are counterculture or, dif- or different in some way because the internet wasn't as controlled. Yeah. So, like, if you look at a lot of uh, Malaysian political organizing, a lot of Malaysian activism, mm-hmm. even now, but especially back then where, like, blogs became, like, a super big thing, that's where people publish stuff. Yeah. Online, like, we had, there's people in parliament right now who first got known because of their blog, you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah so, I think, like, when it came to independent publishing, the internet really was that for a lot of Malaysians because Mm -hmm. that was the one thing we had like more free access to compared to everything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What were people using when they first started to do blogs? Were they on a computer? Were they on a tablet or a phone or? 
Oh, this would have been like way back. It like 2004 was when like blogging really hit as a okay. thing in Malaysia. Yeah. So, like, I don't even know if iPhones were a thing yet, but so it would have been on people's computers, mm-hmm. and people would just make their host a website on I don't know somewhere, mm-hmm. whatever domain name and web host they wanted, and there were like various uh, websites and web rings that would like link people together so you can find each other that way. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a pretty active scene. But like even before that, I think that's sort of the Malaysia specific one where it was a, a also like there was a couple of very prominent news bloggers, for example, mm-hmm. or like people who are very special interests of people talking to each other. Um, and I think around by that point, stuff like ICQ and MSN Messenger were also ICQ. a thing that existed. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we would chat that way, but mostly it was true sort of self-hosted blogs. Um, like I miss Grey Matter. Grey Matter was great. It was like a proto WordPress, but mm-hmm. I prefer Grey Matter. It was so easy. Uh, but yeah, uh, the reason I bring that up was like a few years before that, when I was around 16, so 2000, 2000 2001, that kind of year, um, I was part of this like really big thing online of teen girls mm-hmm. making their own personal websites with like an online diary, which was basically a blog, but no one used the word blog at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we had like these personal diaries and we'd change our layouts and aesthetics every six months or so because that's what you did. And you were like, oh, you must have content. Because none of us really answered what content was. So we just basically have a bunch of tutorials on how to make stuff. And you have like all of this, this like fan list things for a thing where it's basically like a mini fan site and you joined it by like taking a badge that people design and putting it on your website. Like, I'm a fan of so-and-so. And oh my God, fandom. Online fandom, hugely. <laughs> that was mainly what I did with my time on the internet. I made the biggest Savage Garden fanfic archive. <laughs> I'm still a Savage Garden fan. I love Darren Hainsby's. Nice. Well, with good. But yeah, that was sort of my main thing. I'm, I'm sort of bouncing around because I'm remembering things. But yes. yeah, online fandom is the thing. <laughs> That's what I most of my friends i made fan websites and we had like little forums and we're like linked to each other and people will do like online projects like the savage garden fandom was super creative we had multiple attempts at like here sending a page for a scrapbook i'm sending to darren daniel or um there's a song they did called crash and burn where the music video for that song had darren doing the song in i think auslan's australian sign language Mm. And so what this one person did was that let's trans let's try a Google not Google let's try a Guinness World Record and translate this song into as many languages as possible and so we got like I don't know I don't know what happened to the project but we got like about fifty languages or maybe more yeah. from everyone just like translating yeah. the lyrics. That's so you know, sort of like a kind of very creative people working with each other and making yeah. all this stuff. We love this one band and. Oh is yeah. this is this still online? Which one? The the one where you translated the song into. I don't know. I remember looking for it a little while ago, but I couldn't find it. I don't know if it's because this was like ages ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was like such a fun project. Like I got my family involved. <laughs> I was like, oh, who vaguely like my dad vaguely knows some Turkish because he did his masters in Turkey. I was like, hey, can you help like figure out a Turkish sentence? Like I don't know if I can proofread it, but yeah, you know, just sort of like very like, and that was just my particular fandom. But 
across the board. Yeah. You know, so many people made like so much fanfic and fan art and music and just yeah. like this. Oh, and people were like making theories about things like the Harry Potter fandom had a bunch of very big websites mm-hmm. and they tried to discuss stuff in the books like oh what do you think happened with this happened or what would have happened in this other time you know yeah. or and then you have like websites that would report on what was happening on the fandom including any drama that came up <laughs> just like <laughs> why are people like this oh my gosh okay so yeah it was just like so many people connecting and making yeah. things and responding to things yeah. and yeah so whoever was like oh the kids are the passive on the internet oh no not passive on this just I know. yeah no <laughs> my gosh so it sounds like most of the thing you were doing online early on were very community-based very communicate like you were talking to groups of people you were being very creative oh yeah yeah totally yeah yeah what that's so, I'm so jealous that you grew up with the internet. You have no idea. <laughs> See, I grew up sort of slightly before people grew up with the internet. I was yeah. lucky that I got in kind of early. Yeah. But I feel like, like, you know, YouTube came a little too late for me. Mm. <laughs> Podcasting <laughs> came a little too late for me. Just mm. because I didn't, I wasn't around like good technology when it became more of a thing. And like, I remember I was in uni in, Australia when mm-hmm. YouTube started becoming a thing mm-hmm. but we had very slow internet so it's not like I could really upload anything reliably you know? I feel like oh just uh just like quotas you can only use so many megabytes and then you have to like pay or get oh out. I hate that kind of system yeah yeah why Australia I feel like if stuff like YouTube or podcasting was more of a thing like half a decade earlier mm-hmm. I would be so into that <laughs> but they all should have showed up and I was like busy with university I still miss me writing and didn't quite have because I always use like the oldest computer ever because I always use my stuff until it broke and it kept going yeah and I was like no it still works we don't have to be spending money to upgrade it and then just like <laughs> are you kidding the computer I'm in right now I bought at a secondhand used computer shop in Iowa smack dab in the middle of the U.S. <laughs> Super small town. It was like $250 and it barely functions, but it still turns on. So I'm going forward. Yeah, right. Yeah, like the yeah. one I'm using right now is like a friend worked at this like refurbished laptop place and had this sitting around, gave it for me for free. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, and this is like Yeah. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. If YouTube and podcasting were a thing half a decade earlier, I would be on it so fast <laughs> so wait you're saying podcasting came too late so you're not a fan of podcasts is that what you're saying <laughs> well no i'm so much fan of po- but more like how oh, are we making so many oh right yeah you yeah. know because i was writing like a demon online mm-hmm. i didn't necessarily like you know you could like record stuff like you mm-hmm. could record videos and upload them you could record audio and upload them yeah but it wasn't necessarily super streamlined and your file sizes were like massive. So yeah. you'd be waiting two days for a file to download <laughs> on freaking dial up internet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. there's only so like it wasn't writing, it's just text, you know. Right. So right, right. it's not like you have to wait like a hundred years for something to upload or download or whatever. It's very easy to access, you know. <clears throat> so but if if sort of the if I was around if I sort of started sort of half a decade later, mm-hmm. it's like all the things, but now by the time I'm like in a, a space where like the technology and the bandwidth 
has matched up with my ability to engage. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, everyone makes us polish stuff on YouTube now. My stuff's gonna look really janky. There's there's still some less polished stuff, but yeah, the the market's getting absolutely inundated with stuff and even podcasting people are still saying we're still in the at the early stages of it but there's so many podcasts already out there see i remember when podcasting first became a thing yeah like 2004 yes yeah. and it was like a thing for like a couple of years and it kind of faded out mm-hmm. and it was nowhere near as big as it is now yeah. and so it's sort of surprising to me that it sort of came back mm-hmm. like oh this thing done yeah, that's a good point. I wonder what brought it back. Because I was even listening to short clips that were very podcast-esque on websites before podcasting on like, apparently, I didn't realize this, but podcasting called podcasting because of the iPod. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't like attributing things to Apple. So when I read that, I was like, oh, shit, I should probably give them credit to some degree because it made it easier for people to carry it around and listen to them. But Right. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing, like the technology matching up, you know, right. when I was much more super creative like when i was around 16 or so you had walkmans yeah maybe you had players but like yeah. distribution was a bit of a problem oh it was a yeah. massive whereas problem. with yeah. tech it's like print <laughs> i hated Read it with you. even the non-skip cd players skipped and i, I oh I, yeah I walk a, sh- yeah. a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton. I always have. And so I'm like, okay, I have a portable device. I'm going to go walk with my portable device. And no matter which one I bought, they would always skip. And I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's awful. Awful, awful, awful. So wait, so what, how long were you in Australia for? That was just university? I was in Brisbane from 2000. I moved to Brisbane in 2006. Mm-hmm. And I went to San Francisco in 2012, partly mm-hmm. because of my master's, but really because I just needed a sea change. Yeah. It was the best time of my life. And I was back in Malaysia for about nine months between 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in Melbourne and I have been since 2016. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Wow. I can't write that fast. <laughs> All right. So you bounce around the places. You're in Brisbane for si- I know so little about Brisbane. It. I know it's a city. I know people live there, but... It's not hopping with a lot of different kinds of art stuff and, and food culture and all that like Sydney, Sydney and Melbourne is, right? So here's the thing about Brisbane. Huh. There's a movie out there called All My Friends Are Living, Leaving Brisbane. Okay. <laughs> and it's okay. such a trope. Yeah. And it has basis in reality because a lot of the artists you'd see that are in Sydney or Melbourne, even like New York, San Francisco, wherever, mm. Brisbane. Oh. A lot of them started in Brisbane or had spent some time in Brisbane. And then mm-hmm. I was like, I'm done. I'm moving on. And then go, go somewhere else. Like, even when I was in San Francisco for about um, three months and then I lived there for three years, I ran into people from Brisbane. Mm-hmm. A lot of Melbourne art scene people are people I've known from Brisbane. I just basically started there, hit yeah. a wall, left. <laughs> So what was the Whenever wall? you might know about Brisbane people, then you realize. Because <laughs> you I've met them other places, yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. And they're like, oh, where do you come from? Brisbane? Wait, hang on, which neighborhood? <laughs> We're like, oh, across the river. Great. So it's a good place to have met people and then left. <laughs> yeah, we, we were, people start there and it's like, okay, I'm done. Moving on. <laughs> so what, what's the wall? What, what makes people leave Brisbane? Well, I can't speak for everybody, obviously. But in my case, it was just 
I was like, what? There's not very many people of color mm-hmm. in the various scenes I was in, and so I felt very lonely again, mm-hmm. which is where the internet came in handy. Yeah. But um, I just and I oh I saw almost lost a burlesque career there because I was very outspoken about the racism in the scene, mm-hmm. and that just got me blacklisted a lot from places. No one really wanted to hire me or <laughs> let me perform with them anymore or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I lost that. I was just like, you know, I was also struggling a lot with job hunting because of visa reasons and that sort of putting a, a damper on what sort of things I could apply for. Mm. And it just got a point where I was like, I can't. I'm stagnated. I'm, I'm spending so many days in bed at home depressed because nothing is happening for me. Right. right. I was like, I need a change. I like it's, it, it was literally life or death. It's like, I need a change. So I went to San Francisco and found my people and had a great time. But yeah, that, I feel like a lot of people also kind of felt very similarly. It's just yeah. not necessarily to kind of the dire emergency extent that I had. Yeah, sure, you know, sure. Maybe not as bad. But like, you know, other opportunities come. Like a lot of the, if you want to do media stuff, Sydney is where a lot of them are. If yeah. you want to do art stuff, a lot of the stuff that's happening is in Melbourne. Yeah. Or you go overseas, you know, especially if you are a minority in some fashion because... Yeah. Australia, just even in cities like Sydney or Melbourne, can be very white-centric sometimes. Yeah. And so you somewhere else where you don't necessarily have to do the one race one one thing over and over again. And yeah, so, yeah. And, but you know, Brisbane just happened. You know, it's, it's getting a little better in some respects, but it's very slow going. And it's just like a lot of people just go, I've, I've done all I can in this city. Yeah. Because we have to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you were there for six years, so it, it it sounds like you dove back into the internet again. And did you find communities online or reconnect with folks while you were in Brisbane online? To- back. I never left. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But just I mean, I found my first. So we have this thing called in Australia called colleges, which mm-hmm. are not what the American concept of the word is. It's basically sort of a cross between a dorm and a frat house, in that you it's where you live. Okay. And and instead of like diff- some universities have like different residential colleges. So you live there mm-hmm. and it's sort of an on college culture, like different colleges have different fields around them and kind of thing. Okay. And you're usually a student of the university that runs a college, but not necessarily like I wasn't because oh. the university I went to okay. didn't have on campus housing basically. Uh. So yeah, but it was sort of like in the city, so it's like you live wherever. And so I went to this yeah. other one. But I found this other one because I followed someone on Live Journal who lives there. I remember Live Journal. Yeah. Yeah. Live <laughs> yeah. And, and like I followed someone on LJ who like uh, lived in college. I'm like, hey, I'm moving to Brisbane. Yeah. Tell me about it. And so I found out and I applied, got into the college. And that's how I, <laughs> that's how I found like my first living space in Brisbane was through the internet. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, I just continued that. Like, on the one hand, there's a lot more to do in Brisbane than there was in Malaysia. Right. So, it, I didn't necessarily feel like I, it was my only outlet. I yeah. had things to do. But also, I found out about things to do because of the internet. Like, mm. I think Facebook just started becoming a thing when I was in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. Like, it had just started opening it to, like, outside America. Right. Uh, but I think they might have still had the... You had to have a... Dot edu email address to go yeah. on at the time. Yeah. Um, 
so we a bunch of us started getting on there around the same time and you start meeting people that way that people like come to my event or like i'm doing a thing it's my birthday whatever and that's how you found out what was happening yeah, yeah. and like between the colleges we had kind of this intranet system mm-hmm. that was also like how people shared files for music and tv <laughs> kind of little pirate network but yeah. it was also like a chat ruby thing almost like you'd be like downloading whatever tv series you're binging on mm-hmm. and in the meantime having this chat room with people in the different colleges about whatever also i'd be like hey food is the the, the kitchen is open now whoever's on direct connect calm down it's like okay <laughs> it's kind of like this another communication outlet yeah you reach like everyone in the all the colleges sort of all at once. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, you're bringing back massive memories for me. When I first oh, yeah. got the internet at my, um, the university I got my undergraduate degree in, we still had the, the orange screen, the, the black screen with the orange print, sort of like a DOS prompt-ish kind of experience. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so we had like listservs on there for like one for like study groups, one for like mm. buying and selling things and those kinds of things. But you had to, you know, know the, the different codes to get into the groups and all that kind of stuff. I remember those. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Old. <laughs> but then it got much friendlier pretty quick. I mean, Hotmail came oh, yeah. out and then things started to look nice online compared to, compared to that stuff. <clears throat> I still have a soft spot for like Netscape Navigator. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Like, it's weird because sometimes I look into websites. Like, I think the other day I was looking for a particular thing. Mm. And all the websites... Oh, yeah, I was trying to look for web, uh, tools to make crosswords with. Mm-hmm. And all the websites that was, like, selling crossword-making tools, like, the web... It's like, oh, my God, this is, like, 1995 web design. <laughs> I don't even know if this is valid anymore. Like, this thing works anymore or whatever. It's like, it hasn't left. Like, this very specific table... And background color and fall. I was like, wow. Oh, I need to send you some websites because I live in Shanghai, China, and I don't, I'm not fluent enough in the language yet to use websites, but occasionally people recommend websites and I go to them and I just go, oh my God, because it's, it's the design from early websites from the rest of the world, but with tiny, tiny, tiny Chinese characters and a ton of them and then about 50 pop-ups per second. Oh my God. It's just this <laughs> massive amount of information and in, it's in non-navigable, innavigable, whatever the hell the word is. It's just crazy. And so like every time somebody gives me a link that's like a Chinese website, I kind of hold my breath and I hit click and I just wait to be overwhelmed. <laughs> oh, I mean, the U.S. government website, like whenever I apply for a U.S. visa, oh, they kind of send you to this other page to pay your visa fee. Mm-hmm. And that page just looks so sus. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, again, like it hasn't been updated since 1995. And I'm <laughs> like, are you even legitimate? You look like a scam right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is how old-fashioned you look. Like, are you sure? Are you sure, really? Oh, 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 it's so bad. It's so bad. Bad front-end design is just a nightmare. It's just, yeah, it's bad. There's a, oh, it's not Coursera. There's a, an education platform that I cannot remember for the life of me the name of right now, but they basically, they let the educators create their, web. they do, they have the technology, but you're supposed to create your course and including the, the visual part of it. Uh, and is it so, Blackboard? Uh, what's that? It was is not it Blackboard. Blackboard. 
it's one similar to Blackboard. Blackboard okay, yeah. says, this is what it looks like. You can pick what's in it, but we have the structure down, which is yeah. smart when you're dealing, dealing with people in education. But when you give, for example, the ed English department that I was in where people were terrified of technology, when you give them the ability to create something visual to inspire people to learn, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was worse than early websites. It was inevitable, oh, yeah. and it turned some of my students' grades from A's to D's because they did the coding so wrong. I mean, it was so bad. And like, we'll just tell them it's really not a D. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, it was bad. It was really, really oh, bad. <laughs> okay, so you were in Australia for six years. You found a lot of stuff that you could do offline from the online experience, and you kept that online experience going. Was there any big shift? from what you were doing online in Malaysia and what you were doing online in Australia? Uh, well, the, the fact that the, it connected to more real world things I could do pretty much immediately was a good one. Um, around the time when I was in, when I moved to Brisbane, mm -hmm. I started on this blog, sort of just before I moved to Brisbane properly, mm -hmm. about alternative education. Because mm. I'd just been on like an in round the world trip with a group of upwards people in 2005 and mm. I loved it. it was like this kind of cross between like a youth tour and volunteering and you did like a variety show every night or wow. not every night but like once a week yeah, every week. yeah, yeah. went to a different city every week it was fun I loved it and I was like I want to I want to talk about this more so I did a blog about it and it's about hey education shouldn't be just like test scores and stuff it should be all sorts of yeah. different things yeah, yeah, that yeah. blew up that really blew up like I got a lot of attention a big following Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Brisbane, like my blog was sort of more targeted towards Malaysia because the Malaysian education system was what I knew. But so I got a lot of attention that way. Mm -hmm. And so I actually became kind of an influencer really in that space. It's, it's very wild to think about that. Um, but yeah, in Australia, like, you know, I could go to like, there's so many like conferences and youth events mm -hmm. and stuff. And my blog was like a good way for me to get in. Like the blog gave me some leverage. Like, oh yeah, you're doing like stuff around youth empowerment and education. Like I got nominated for university award for it. Sweet. For that work. And cool. I got to like access a lot of spaces because of it. Yeah. And then from there, take whatever networks or knowledge or whatever I got from those spaces, put it up online back on my blog. So I kind of fed, it, fed each other really. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's uh, so it, it the timing just worked out that, like this blog that I was running called Educate Deviate became that like I was in Brisbane and so I managed to make the best of all the opportunities that I had. Mm -hmm. And it's really useful because I was getting really burnt out by university and so for various reasons and so I like the blog and the stuff I was doing sort of for the blog or as a result of the blog yeah. helped help me get through very burnt out university student yeah. life. Oh, it, it makes me damn near tearful that university has, uh, can be so, just, even just the classroom experience anywhere, and it's not country specific, it just seems to be something gets removed when we walk into that room, oh, yeah. those rows of chairs. I don't know what it is. I've tried so many things. Is that I don't teach anymore, but I did for a while. I tried so many things to get it to be better, but there's something that happens in that room that doesn't happen in alternative education environments. Like... People can be excited about what they're doing in different contexts, but for some reason that freaking room does something to all of us. Yeah, yeah, right. That's crazy. Hey, is that blog, are you still going with that blog now? No, so the blog 
kind of went on hiatus in 2009 hmm. because I think like a sort of a bunch of things kind of happened at once in my life hmm. and I got very tired and burnt out basically. Sure. sure. Um, so it's like, I again, I felt like I just need to move on. And that's how I got into performance art was really just trying to move on from this. So the blog is still up hmm. as a resource. And every so, like, I still sort of talk about alternative education stuff, so it's still an interest of mine, but mostly in terms of, like, on social media, talking about, hey, the hyper-focus on grades is not useful. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I still find interesting opportunities, even though I've aged out from a lot of it, too, because a lot of them have a cap of around 30, and yeah. I'm going to turn 33 in a couple of weeks. So, so, you know, I'm a little too old to be a youth. I am no longer a youth. <laughs> I am ancient. You so are like, I can't even do the stuff I would promote about. Now, you know, if I find stuff that's cool, like I see young people are really, it's like, yeah, go young people, do things. <laughs> and it's interesting because when I started, and like even before the blog started, mm-hmm. I after I finished high school, I was so burned. And I just like dealing with like a mental health diagnosis. I was like, I can't continue after high school so I took a year off mm-hmm. and back then it was unheard of in mm-hmm. Malaysia to take a year off mm-hmm. people were like no go to university immediately yeah study medicine always medicine and like then go straight to I was like I can't my brain just cannot so I took a year off my parents were like okay cool that's fine and so I did I had no plans I just did whatever like I went to the US for a few weeks to follow mm-hmm. a band I liked it was like, but my family had family there. So like, hey, let's go visit them while we're out there. Um, <laughs> you know, I took a dance class because it was there. Um, I took a break. I just took a break. I started like doing a bit of writing because there was some opportunity, sort of freelance stuff and got connected with the Malaysian freelance writers community. Mm-hmm. So that was good. But it, it became like a, such an unusual thing. And so I took a break and then I went to uni in Malaysia for a bit, which was a bad idea because the university I went to turned out to be a, a hot mess. I met a lot of good people there, but you don't go there to study. Oh. And that's why I went to the Upward People trip was sort of kind of me dropping out of uni. And then I went for this trip for six months, for about like eight, somewhere between 12 weeks, I think. And I wrote an article. I sent a letter to the editor in a Malaysian newspaper about it. Oh, yeah, because in the year I took off, I also like uh, the Malaysian, I'm jumping around my timeline, so I, I realized. But when I took the year off from high school, um, I joined a, the Star, which is a Malaysian national English language newspaper. Mm. They have a program called BRATS, which is like the youth journalism program. Oh, okay. And so I signed, I joined BRATS as a youth journalist. And that's mm. how I started actually doing professional writing. Like my mm. first gig was through there. Yeah. You know, I got like I got to be part of this group that interviewed the prime minister and the leader of the opposition for a national day special. You know, I got to do, so it was like, a really good opportunity, really. And so, like you know, I, I joined Bratz, did a bunch of things with them. I mm-hmm. uh, did uni in Malaysia, which again failed terribly. Not on my fault. It, it was like it was just not a good place. But I met a lot of good people there. Yeah. Um, but like went on trip trip and after people and then after my trip after people I wrote about hey so I do I took a break from university how weird is that <laughs> I was like but you know I think it should be more of a thing because I think it really helped me like I felt a lot better and got all this good experience and I felt stronger now and now mm-hmm. I think I might have already had just moved to Brisbane or I was about to but the I wrote the letter and mm-hmm. and then at some point 
Now, every so often, the same newspaper would email me wanting to do an essay on gap years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think sort of after it became, it's become more of a thing to do in the last decade or so, but yeah. not definitely not when I was doing it. Like I was unusual. Yeah. And so it's like every every three years or so, someone from the star would be like, hey, we're doing an article about gap years and we want to interview you. And I'm like gradually like the oldest person in this essay. <laughs> Like, you went from, like, Tiara's now doing her bachelor's in Brisbane. Or, like, Tiara is now um, doing, is now working as an artist in Brisbane. Tiara is now doing her master's in San Francisco. And it'd be, like, all of this, like, 18-year-olds talking about having this comeback from a year in the UK. I was, like, am I the grandmother of granny, of gap years in Malaysia? Now? <laughs> but you started the trend, so they keep coming back. I started the trend, Saba. Or, like, I started writing about it, and, and now I'm, like, some sort of, thought leader but yeah like the educator blog kind of became like that a lot yeah yeah yeah. yeah. i became this kind of thought leader for educate alternative education in malaysia like a lot of people like looked up to the work that i was doing because i was the only person talking about it at the time wow and now now there's like a lot more activity around it like there's not now a lot of opportunity and there's like more options but I think a lot of it was probably because of my blog starting things. And it was just me going, I want, I think one thing's changed. I think these can change. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, but that's, that's the beauty of the internet that that can go out to many, many, many people with that. that right. Yeah. Yeah. My gosh. And after taking it on, it's like, yeah, my children. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. At this point, I just want to ask, is there anything you haven't done online? <laughs> Make a ton of money. Oh, yeah, that part. Yeah. I I've yeah. gone viral a few times for different reasons, but yeah. going viral has not, like, translated into, like, a lot of money. Why the hell not? What have you gone viral for? So, in 2004, there was a social media network called Elo mm-hmm. that was starting up. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, it's going to be like better than Facebook because it was during the time where Facebook was like enforcing the real name policy. Right. Whereas LO right. was like marketing it. It's like, oh, you know, they have this manifesto, oh my God, about like being private. It's like private as in, A, we don't have advertisers, but then also advertisers could just make their free profile. So I don't see how private that would be. And so they're like this big deal, but over better than Facebook because you can use your whatever name you want and I'll give you some privacy, blah, blah. And I went on. And I was like, there's no way you can block people. And e- your content is either public to the world or public to LO. There's no friends only option. That's okay. Basically, this is, and me good using a pseudonym is not going to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so I wrote this essay basically saying there are no privacy measures. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can block people. I am not joining you. Goodbye. Yeah, too bad. And I was mostly directed towards all my friends who were like jumping shit. And I was like, um, I am not going to join you because this seems like a hot mess. Yeah. And then, kind of 24 hours later, and on my birthday even, which was the weirdest <laughs> birthday of my life, the essay went viral. The Washington Post linked to it. Wow. And like, and then everyone else followed on. Yeah. The one half book called me Tiara the Anonymous Drag Queen, <laughs> which I kind of regret not actually using as my username at one point. 
Oh, that was it. Wait, the anonymous drag queen was your username? No, someone on Halfmo, like in linking that article, cited me as Tiara, the anonymous drag queen. Oh. I had to like add the writers like, hey, hey, Tiara, the anonymous drag queen is a bit of a misnomer because Tiara doesn't make me not anonymous. Also, I'm not a drag queen. Wait. Yeah, yeah, no, there's... I, but, I was, but I was like, also, that is like the best drag name I could ever have. And I kind of... <laughs> I was like, that's just amazing. Too many letters for Twitter, but amazing. I, and then the, I got a call. The freaking New Yorker had an interview with me because of it. What? So oh I was getting all this attention. And it's kind of weird to be like, hello, I will hire you, which hasn't happened. But it was like the weirdest birthday of my life. Just like all of this. And I had a job interview that day too. And like I had the job interview, they're like, oh, by the way, we saw your article being linked around. I was like, oh my God. Oh <laughs> <am> my God. <laughs> Wait, did you get that job? <laughs> I got the job. But it was like a tutoring job and like unrelated to oh anything. Oh my gosh, yeah. But it was just like, oh, what has happened? Oh. Why? What is viral? It was the weirdest. Wow. It was fun, but like super weird. Like freaking Vogue linked to it and Engadget and like, Fast comp, like how? Why? Oh my! Why is this? Why is this my claim to fame? <laughs> that's so crazy, and that's happened a few times in your life already. Already, <laughs> I know how it's just kind of unusual in the terms of who got on it. Like you know, it's not like the New Yorkers banging on my door every five seconds, but like on fandom, there's like a Harry Potter thing I posted that's mm. become super viral. Even eight, not eight, four years on, it's still being spread around. I'm like, how? <laughs> and I think I wrote it that with slut walk so slut walk's a movement against slut shaming and victim blaming mm-hmm. basically saying like no one deserves to be assaulted regardless of what they're wearing and I spoke at the first mm-hmm. slut walk in Brisbane in 2011 I'm very like I've been involved in the movement from the very beginning mm-hmm. even here in Melbourne and um I made a speech and I made a comment about I don't care if you are the bastard child of Paris Hilton and Lord Voldemort and you work as a stripper in the middle of nowhere in the outback, you still don't deserve to be assaulted. And that, that, that went viral. Well, People made a fan page for the bastard child of Paris Hilton and Lord Voldemort. <laughs> and so it's sort of like these weird things that happen. <gasps> and that, like, and like, why, why is this what I'm famous for? Because you've Paris Hilton, Voldemort jokes and social network Oh my gosh. I want to see the visuals that people came up with with that idea. I don't know that people, if people made art, I haven't seen art, but people just like commented on it a lot. Uh, and no, I want somebody to create that visual. Like, what is that? I know. <laughs> I think someone did a thing where they like Photoshop Voldemort's face on Paris Hilton's body. It's like, I think I see yes. Yes. Like, why? Why? <laughs> no, people like say, say Sherry is kind of like this big feminist statement. I'm like, hi, I came up with this <laughs> on the fly. I didn't even plan it. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> well, okay. No, that begs the question, though, because you were talking about like viral versus making money off of it. Do Would you be comfortable making money off of one of these moments? Um, I would like to. Hmm. That would be nice. I mean, making money in terms of not necessarily in terms of, oh, I put that slogan on a t-shirt and now people give me cash. Okay. But more like if it led to an opportunity, like mm-hmm. a job I or like a gig that led to sort of some sort of sustainable income, that would have been good. Gotcha. Like, I don't know what the vol- the Paris of the Voldemort thing could have led to, even though it's hilarious. 
But like the Elo thing, like, you know, all the tech companies at SF would be like, I'm going to hire you. That would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, I have this problem and it's sort of a pervasive problem I have where I get a lot of attention, but it doesn't necessarily translate into something tangible. Like I'm finding this with my show right now, my Queer Lady Magician show, mm. where we have very good brand recognition. Mm-hmm. Like we have a lot of media attention. Yeah. We have a lot, like, like people know about us. Mm-hmm. We have like very strong aesthetic, you know, the graphic design's amazing. Our, our photography is amazing. So people know and love the concept, but it hasn't exactly translated into ticket sales. Huh. It's like a lot of people going, oh, but if you were in New York, I would buy front row. I'm like, can you just help us make it this one show? So, so that's the thing. Like, we have a lot of attention yeah. and a lot of interest, but the, con- the element where people convert that attention into mm-hmm. sales or into like, like we, hit a, we did a crowdfunding campaign and that worked out. But that was also like, because a lot of times there's a couple of people who were able to give more money right. in a step day. But that was still very tenuous. Like, oh my God, it could have gone very, very wrong. Right, right. So, so it's like, if I still haven't figured out what that conversion is. I haven't figured out how to convert all the people going, oh my God, I love your social media feed. You, you put out such good content. And, you oh, you know, if you look at my website, my, my portfolio is like a hundred pages long. Um, and but getting off from thank you for the compliment and thank you for the retweets now actually just give me money <laughs> That's <laughs> me and I started, like I know it's petty to whine about this nope. it's like oh which nope. is your problem but like sometimes when people talk about like oh make sure you retweet your friends art because that's how you know they'll get exposure you support mm-hmm. your friends and like I kind of want to yell stop retweeting start paying me <laughs> yeah because I will that's intention if it even meant like I was not precarious with my finances all the time. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. even if it was like one, but that one led to like a regular gig where mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about making rent. That would be better than like 30,000 retweets and nothing, you right. know? Right. No, there, that is the reality of it is that you can be a creative person and put a lot of stuff online, but how does that equate into sustaining your life? I have no yeah, idea. and I think people assume fame equals fortune. Yeah, no, yeah. And, you know, and I'm not even that famous in comparison. Yeah. But I know, like, you know, Gabby Dunn wrote this essay years ago about how despite being a YouTuber and a fairly well-known one, mm-hmm. uh, she still had to get extra jobs to afford rent. And it's yeah. like all that likes, all that views don't translate as much as people think it translates. Yeah. But I think people think, like, oh, if you're famous – in a way that I know what your name is. Yeah. That means you're just as famous as a Hollywood celebrity. And yeah. therefore, you have that same amount of money. It's like, no. no. Not anymore. Fame no. and fortune are really disconnected really different. And especially when you're doing, like, self-produced projects. Like, if you mm. have, like, a, like for... For bleh, for movie stars, they have like a production company behind them, and they have agents. Mm. And they have all these people, and they pay them when they do the movies. If you're producing yeah. stuff and putting it online or doing it in person, you're the one doing it. So unless somebody gives you money for the project, you can't pay yourself for those things that you're doing. Right, and like yeah. people generally, you don't get paid to do media stuff because yeah. that's against journalistic ethics. So just because I have a ton of articles to my name, I haven't been paid for any of them. Yeah. So just because I'm known doesn't mean I'm 
you know, I'm stable. Right. What are your thoughts on things like Patreon when you do, when people do ask their viewers and followers to give them some money every month? I have a Patreon. Hmm. But again, it's been, it's been a little slow going. Like I have 35 subscribers and I make about $150 a month, which sounds ridiculous given that I have 6,000 followers on Twitter and I have like 2,000 on Tumblr and blah, 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 you know, and all, yeah. I got all of this media attention and so on. But again, the conversion from, I love your work to, and here's some money. And some of it is because a lot of my work tends to resonate with people from communities that are already underprivileged and don't have a lot of money to spare. And right. it's often like we're just paying each other the same $100 in a circle. But I go to, there's like a lot of other people who definitely have more funds than I do. Mm-hmm. But the, I, some, I don't know what in their brain doesn't translate to. And therefore, maybe if I hope even contribute a dollar, it would help you be able to afford things that let you continue making that content. And like a lot of people keep, when I talked about my difficulties, we say job hunting or fundraising or whatever. They're like, oh, we'll just make stuff. I'm like, I've made buckets of stuff. My resume unedited goes on for about 10 pages. I'm making more stuff. Not my problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. No, it's it's totally crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Like when I started the podcast, a lot of my coworkers, because I still have my day job, because I there's yeah. no it, it, the path towards making money in podcasts is like insane. And so my coworkers were like, "Oh, are you, what's that?" <laughs> Sponsored by Squarespace. Oh, it's, yeah, it's just nuts. And my coworkers were like, oh, are you doing this for a business? And at first I was just like, I need a platform. I used to write a lot and my eyes kind of went wonky and this is now easy to do online. So I'm going to go vocal with it. I'm going to do, I'm going to have that outlet. And so I wasn't even thinking that for the first year, year and a half. And I was just like, no, I just want to create something. And now I'm finally like, okay, I have put a ton of work into this. I would like to get sponsors or do something like that, but it's just, oh. It's like, where do you put your energy? It's like the creative, oh, yeah, yeah. make the thing, the, and then the energy to collect people to fund the thing is just like... Yes. The admin takes so much work and people don't appreciate that mm-hmm. enough, I think. Yeah. Or like, just apply. Like, oh my God, how many... Do you know how long an application takes? Like grants and stuff. I've heard they're just nightmares. And somebody told me yeah, about a grant for podcast the other day and I was, I'm terrified to look at the website because I know it's going to be like this ridiculous amount of stuff to fill out yeah Ugh. yeah no it's it's definitely the, the crappy side of all of this but let's talk about social media what do yeah. you is there anything have you ever decided i'm not going to put this on social media like any kind of thing in your life that you're not going to ever post online uh, do you, well i'm i'm sometimes an oversharer on online mm-hmm. because i feel like i feel fairly comfortable with it and that's also sometimes been very useful mm-hmm. especially when I've had like really really bad days like I've had a really rough weekend mm-hmm. this past weekend for like various reasons and I was like to the point like oh my god someone please help me because it was just like a pile of bad things kind of happened all at once and but sometimes if I, I put it out there I, I found help like one like this past this this past weekend I've had like a lot of things happen all at once that were not good. And I was already like in a bad spot mentally. Mm-hmm. And I got a, a notification from my real estate. It's like, oh, we're doing our 
biannual house inspection. And so we're coming on the 11th and we need, and which means I have to like get my house super tip top clean. I'm like on top of everything, I have a show to do. I am dealing with a really bad mental health spiral at the moment because bad things happen to me all in the one day. Like I can't, I can't make what. And so, but then my friends saw that my Facebook post, and they're now chipping in to get me a cleaner, which is very lovely. It's you know, so so stuff like that helps. And when people are like, oh, why well, you overshare? Like because that's how I get help sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's stuff that might implicate another person in a way mm-hmm. where the blowback would be more that it is worth I don't put it on yeah um so you know if it's like if I can't vague book about it enough <laughs> like, I'm, like the most I might be like oh I'm in a frustrating situation right now but if yeah. it's like something that where the other person might read it or someone who knows the other person might read it and it'll be like a huge drama mm-hmm. then I started to consider I've become like a little less into online debates about things mm-hmm so, like especially on Tumblr where there's so much like social justice discourse and I used to be like much more like I still sort of am a SJW to some degree just because with my activism and my work and stuff mm-hmm. but Sarah does like sort of this debates on stuff from like on t- online was like we've talked about this in 2009 and I'm, like, I'm too old for this yeah it's like just like the same old and just like this again and just like moving on like, I might have an opinion on it, but it's like an opinion I've stated five times already. Right. I'm tired. I am a tired old person. Leave me alone. How many times are we going to talk about this and still nothing is changing? Yeah. Right. Exactly. They're like, I am moving. I'm like, I am just going to let this be. They can yeah. be wrong on the internet, whatever. They don't need. I've done. Uh, no, that's. Absolutely. I hadn't thought about that. I used to be on a lot more forums and things for different interests. And I, I've really fallen off a lot of those. I think for that very reason, I feel like the information in the conversation, like the conversations were nice, but now people are in different social media parts too. So I can find them there, but the, the conversations yeah. and the debates and the trying to fix things within whatever area, whether it be travel, living overseas or, or, or writing or any kind of issues, I feel like those just kind of people just wanted to argue. And I'm like, no, I don't want to argue. I want to make change. There's a really big right, thing. Right, exactly, yes. Yeah. So, and suddenly just like, you know, the sort of this pressure that comes on is like, oh, if you don't correct this at that moment, yeah, then you're complicit in whatever harm that results because you didn't correct it that one time. And I'm like, look, oh my I God. am but one person. Yeah. And sometimes it's just not worth it. Like, you, you just like, if people are going to argue and they're not going to listen anyway, then why, like, hit your head to get a wall? Yeah. When there's yeah. so many other things you could do with that energy. It's like, okay, so that one person does yeah. not get educated by you. It's like, well, whatever. There's, yeah, there's. You only do so much. There are six billion people in the world. Like, <laughs> Seriously. So I, I actually missed a really good part of okay when you started writing very early on and you've written and made an impact in your writing even if not financially you've made an impact in your writing was there anybody that inspired you to write on or offline when you first started Ooh, i don't know like i don't know if it's a case of like oh this one particular person in my life was what got me writing you know like i don't know that i have someone I can pinpoint to for that specifically. Mm-hmm. I think it was just something that came very naturally to me. Mm-hmm. 
like I'd been writing even before the internet was a thing. I'd been writing a lot, and I guess it, it just kind of made sense. Mm-hmm. And you know, from writing, I met community and met all these people, and just kind of spurred me to keep going. And like my first fandom, my big fandom was Savage Garden. So I guess you could say they inspired me in that. They sort of inspired me to write a lot about them. But like. <laughs> But, you know, I think it is something that came very naturally and it was something I was getting a good feedback on. Yeah. And so I, it, it, that, it didn't feel like I was yelling into the void. It was like, oh, people are responding and that's yeah. how I meet people. And yeah. so, yeah, just like, I guess, I guess each other. Yeah. The whatever yeah. community I was in yeah. inspired me to keep going. That's powerful. It's powerful. And when also you- sometimes it's like, I have a lot of feelings and thoughts about this. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't quite figured out how to upload video or audio yet without it taking 10 years, but I can type now. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm guessing your typing speed is rather fast. Is that a safe assumption? Pretty fast, yeah. (laughs) Although I make much more typos now than I used to, and it makes me cringe a little bit. Mm. Because I used to be the top speller at my school, and now that's all gone downhill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay on a typewriter still, but my thumb typing, I don't think is ever going to be great. Oh, yeah. It's it's horrible. I don't know if it's just the size of my thumbs or what the hell's happening, but I look, like, I'm, I'm doing touch typing and I'm looking somewhere else, and then I look at it and I'm like, that is not any language I know. <laughs> <laughs> what? And then autocorrect comes in. Oh, I hate autocorrect. Super quick. I hate it. That is not what I meant. No. I actually have mine permanently turned off because I can't stand the, the suggestions that it gives me throws me off in what I'm trying to type. And then I forget the whole message and I, yeah, so I just turn it off. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So you've got a lot of social media presence. Do you feel any pressure to keep putting stuff in those areas to keep, to feed those folks? Um, there was sort of a point in time where there was a pressure of why aren't you commenting about this social justice issue that should be up your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Like I've had like people sort of specifically ask me, well, what do you think about this? Or like they'll tag me in things like expecting me to comment on them mm-hmm. and got to the point where I'm like, no, just don't. <clears throat> just, if I want, if I want to say something about it, let me say something about it, but mm-hmm. like don't force me to say something about it. Yeah. But yeah, it has happened. And, and like with external pressure, like I think it's more like, you know, like the show I'm trying to do, this sort of, you have to promote it every day or else people won't find your link or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's more pressure along the lines, but also like, oh, but how do I not saturate, oversaturate people with it? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of like, oh, I have like a reputation to keep up. But again, I've, I've gotten old enough. I stopped caring. <laughs> Right, <laughs> whatever. I'll be grumpy, brown chick, whatever. I'm just tired. Or I'm not grumpy enough for people, whatever. Do you ever feel any, like, after like streaming through social media and looking at other people's posts and stuff, do you ever feel a negative side to that experience? Um, sometimes with this being like sort of a big event that involves in people talking about very traumatic experiences it can mm. be like a bit much like when me uh, whenever me too stuff spikes in the news mm-hmm. they just have like a lot of people talking about their experiences um that can be very overwhelming yeah or like when there's like a big news event 
and the consequences would affect someone like me. You see, you're on immigration, mm-hmm. um, then it can be like, I, ah, uh, God, after a while, I get very upset just because of this. There's a lot of upsetting news, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been the occasional time where some sort of online interpersonal thing is going awry, and I feel negatively about it. Mm-hmm. So that does happen, but that would also be the same if the interaction happened in person Mm -hmm. you know that's more like the fallout is it was a negative interaction yeah whether it was online or not it's less of the issue right 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 no that's a really really good point do you do you feel like you talk to people differently online than you do offline i find that i'm a lot more articulate when i'm typing than i'm when i'm talking (laughs) i guess you might not tell from this interview but (laughs) because i keep rambling a lot but no, like, I've actually discovered, like, there's been a few times where people are doing interviews with me over text or, like, mm-hmm. over email. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can form my sentences really well. My thoughts are down. And then when they do, like, the in-person interview, I'm just like, what the time? <laughs> Words, thoughts, <laughs> ideas, things, what? I was getting somewhere with this, and now I can't edit what I'm saying. And, oh, my God, I'm rambling. What? And I sort of like trying to talk like I'm writing an essay. So I end up trying to do a beginning, middle, conclusion as well. I'm like, you don't have to do that when you're talking. But just like my instinct is to do that. I'm like, why am I summing up my entire statement again? (laughs) At least with writing, you can edit things. Or you can reword while you're writing it. When you are talking. Not so much. (laughs) No. No, this it's already out there. <laughs> it's already yeah. out. And I'm just kind of finding that as well with, you know, this show. It's playwriting. So it's going to be written. It's not like a ton that's improv. Mm. Like, it's going to be improv. It's going to be stuff with this audience participation. So you just have to roll what the audience gives you. But I have done, like, some monologue writing. But this is the first time I've written, like, a full script to perform. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, like, my first, the comments I got from my dramaturg and my director were like, it is very clear that you are a very good essayist because this is a very strong piece of writing. However, we need to make it work for the stage, yeah. which means changing a bit of how things are being said. Uh, so, and then, you know, there's this one section where I was repeating a plot point like three times. Like, is this really necessary? No. Or like, you know, you want to make the story make some sense. So you don't want to cover, you want to cover any plot holes. But like it's theater. If there's some plot hole, it's fine. <laughs> you know, you don't have to like, oh God, I, 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 but how would this person know about this thing if they weren't in the room and that happened? Like it's, it's theater. You can fudge it. You don't have to have the character re-explain what happened to the person no. out of the room. You know, like, even just all of that stuff. Yeah. So it's like kind of like changing between like writing on paper or on screen, which I don't necessarily think of like, oh, I have to write this as a paper. It's just how I write normally. Mm-hmm. And then writing for the stage, which is a whole other beast than just, oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my God. Oh, we completely skipped over San Francisco, which is crazy. So were you in San Francisco for three months or three years or? I was there for three months at the start. I did okay. a summer residency. Yeah. And then I fell in love with the place and went back there to do my MFA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was there for three years. Nice. So three months at first, then back in Brisbane. I was like, yeah. I want to go back. I miss it. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So what, um, it's interesting because you did 
a lot of stuff with alternative education, but then you did the formal bachelor's and master's anyway. Why? Why? Um, the bachelor's <laughs> was because my parents were like, please get a degree. <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't want to. But I was like, okay, fine. But I get to choose where. And I got to choose what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like about it. And I was like, I want to leave the country. And they were like, oh, no, but what if you get murdered? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like it'll be fine so, yeah it'll be better than being stuck in the country and so that was mainly just so they so to make them happy really was really why i got the bachelors sure i would have necessarily done it otherwise it would have just been like traveling or something or doing more random stuff mm-hmm. uh, the masters is more because that was the easiest way for me to be in the u.s more than three months fair enough yeah. And I picked the MFA specifically because it was low residency and it was very flexible and you could do whatever you wanted. And so I'm like, cool. So that was more like my vehicle to get in the country and, mm-hmm. you know, have like enough space to do all the artsy, activity, queer stuff that I was actually in C4. Mm-hmm. Cool. So it wasn't the most rigorous program, but it was fine. That's fine. Um, but okay, so when you moved from us from Brisbane to San Francisco, did what you do online change at all? So I had met a lot of connections in San Francisco online even before I left. Mm, okay. And so especially when I was in the, there for the summer, it was like I could put all faces to names now and you know, I, I got to connect with the community I was building online because I was feeling so isolated in Brisbane, especially with the performance arts community. Yeah. You know, all of the people I was really interested in were in the Bay Area. And so it was really good to be part of those connections and spaces yeah. that I could only see online previously. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess in some ways, like, yeah, there's like a lot more stuff online. Mm-hmm. And again, that's how I found out what was happening. There was... Mm-hmm post a lot of the events online or like you hear from people's friends be like oh we're looking for blah 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 and they'll share their post and whatever mm-hmm. and by that point you know compared to when i was in brisbane stuff like facebook and twitter became more of a thing mm-hmm. <coughs> so just more of a, more of that happening really mm-hmm. okay um so it's sort of like sort of not super dissimilar but there was more to do with it Okay. Then I was. Yeah. So it sounds like no matter where you were geographically, your your online life was was very was steady and kind of like a I don't want to say a grounding force. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like it didn't change much no matter where you were geographically. Um, I get it adapted to whatever local thing was happening at the time, especially my final year in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I was on a bunch of Slack chats. Because um, oh. that's when Slack became really a thing, and there's like a LGBT in tech Slack and a woman in tech Slack. It's sort of like I was exploring tech and games at the time. Okay, a lot of them had their own like special interest Slack chats. Mm, okay, so that way, you know, like I found a lot of people that way, and yeah, you'll find the occasional like part-time gig or whatever through there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but yeah, there was always a presence, and also the internet was very useful for research. Yeah, yeah artistic input you know so yeah so in, in some ways yes it's been steady but like the way i would use it really depended on what people in the locality were using at the time mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. When, when you share stuff on social media, do you tend to share stuff that, as it's happening or do you do it like after the fact, looking back, kind of reflecting on things? Both? I think it depends on what it is. Mm, okay. Um, I, did, I have noticed that in, lately that I have become sometimes a little too busy to be live tweeting. <laughs> You're like, oh man, I've been so caught up in this thing that I didn't even get the opportunity to be like, look what's happening. Um, like I just got caught up with uh, getting ready to perform. I even like post about how nervous I was. Ah, like I post about it the day before maybe. But like, yeah, a bit of both. Sometimes I get nostalgic about something, or like mm. I'll read something that reminds me of a thing from the past, and mm. then I'll talk about it. Sometimes I'll have to do things where I can't really announce what it is due to embargoes or whatever, so I have to wait. And like, oh, now I can tell you what I was up to. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's a bit of both. Too funny, too funny. Um, <clears throat> is, 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 okay, I have two kind of weird media questions that may not make it into the final one. I'm still playing with some of these questions. So this one, okay. So like a lot of people say that what we post online is, is unimportant, which I think is kind of bullshit. But mm-hmm. what, what's the difference between somebody writing like an autobiographical book Versus yeah. what we put out about ourselves online. Ooh, I guess it sort of depends on what you, how you portray yourself online too. Mm. Like you might approach your online life like an autobiographical book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it really depends, but I feel like with autobiography, a lot of it is looking back mm-hmm. at stuff that's happened. Sometimes with you've had enough distance both in time and space mm-hmm. to be able to provide a perspective on it that you won't necessarily have gotten at the moment. Mm-hmm. And if your online presence is very in the moment, mm-hmm. you're going to have a very different idea of what that moment looks like while you're in it versus when time has passed. Or even you, knew you, might, you might have had some information come up to you later that gives context of what happened yeah. before but you won't have known that at the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I think pe- people put different aspects of themselves in online that they may or may not put in an autobiographical book. Like, you know, if your autobiography is mostly chronological, this is stuff that happened, but your online life is more what you're thinking at the time. Mm-hmm. or vice versa or like you know sometimes people write biographies of themselves that are about a very specific event yeah 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 yeah. it's online you know depending your your online presence might be about all sorts of matters of things not just this one particular thing you'd have a book about yeah and also like with the book um you have an editor you have publishing considerations yeah you have like and yeah, yeah, I show you it, like, depending on your online presence, you may also have to consider an audience, if that's mm-hmm. the sort of way you function. But it's a very different kind of audience consideration than a book would be, because you get immediate feedback. Right, right, right. And immediate engagement versus the book in maybe a while from when you've written the book to yeah. when people will read it. And sure. in between things that have changed because of an editor or a publisher or something. Sure, 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 sure. Well, I, okay, that does bring up the question of audience. For, mm-hmm. for people that see all of your stuff online, what do you want yeah. them to do with it? 
do you do anything with it? Do you want to inspire them? Do you want them to do something else? Do you want to, I don't know. Do you? It kind of depends on what it is I'm doing at the time. Hmm. I mean, there have been times where I've specifically written something so with the intent and the hope for people to follow through with it. Hmm. Like with staff around immigration, for example, or some sort of other relevant political issue. Yeah. I write about sort of my take on it or how this affects me. Mm-hmm. Often I will also end with like, if you are in a position to do something about it, please do. Or like, it's like, you know, there's this thing going on in Australia right now around immigration in particular, because you've just had a change in prime minister and mm-hmm. this prime minister is, well, they've all have been to be fair, but like the, he's especially been very hostile to immigrants. Yeah. And there's been like some things that happen in, in politics in the last few months where like the rights of immigrants have especially been in under scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I'm an immigrant, but I'm, I don't have the right to vote just yet. And I don't know if I ever will because of the way laws work and how mm-hmm. long it takes for everything. And so I'd be like, hey, this is how this is going to impact me. Also, I can't vote. And so anything, any opportunity for me personally to change this, I can't mm-hmm. take out. Well, because I can't vote, so I don't have that power. Mm-hmm. Um, I can write to my local whoever, but because I can't vote, yeah, less likely to be able to, to want to listen to me. Was well, like those of you who can vote, who have more of a say, please think about people like me when yeah. you make your decision. You know, so like sort of like specifically asking for that if it's something I need people to do. I you know on the other hand, so sound like come to my show <laughs> or tell people <laughs> my show. I'll like tell you, you know, sort of like stuff that's less serious but still involves people. Please do the thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it's so specifically stuff like that. If I have like a, a thing I want people to do with, then I'll say it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it'd be like, hey, I need help with a thing. It's like, oh, I'm feeling crappy, please. Like, you know, the other day I just had, it was 2.30 a.m. It's like, I am having the worst time. Please, if you, please be nice to me. Also, if you were thinking of treating me for my birthday, front loaded now because I could really use it right now because I'm in a really bad state. <laughs> so I'm yeah. just being explicit. Yeah. It's helpful. But other than that, like if I'm not like explicitly stating what I want from it, it's just like here, here's mm-hmm. a thing that's cool or I think that's useful for you to read. Sure. Please check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check it out or not. Tell me if you checked it out or not. But it's like, hey, thing that is cool, thing that I thought would be worthwhile. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you, having grown up in that environment where you didn't feel like you had a lot to do in real life, but you had a strong online life, do you ever see yourself as possibly a role model for people, for kids that are in that situation now? Ooh, I think there was more of that when I was doing my alternative education stuff, Mm -hmm. because that was directly speaking towards young people. Yeah. And like I had like a lot of Malaysian, young Malaysians like write to me about how they were feeling mm-hmm. and sort of appreciating my presence as a different voice to all the other ones that have been inundated with from school and from the government, from media and stuff about mm-hmm. how they should live their life. So that was sort of a more deliberate mm-hmm. kind of role model presence. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's interesting because I don't know that any of my stuff right now is particularly like youth friendly, mm-hmm. you know? So I'd be like very surprised if there's like any young people keeping an eye on me. <laughs> so I was like, you're probably not old enough, go away. But like, 
but no, like you know, I I get sometimes like sort of older teenagers, for example, might mm-hmm. find my presence, especially on st- faces like Tumblr, where there's more of a teen presence on there. And kids yeah. Are these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is sort of very strange because they're like, oh, what are you doing on Tumblr? You're like past 30. It's like, I'm not that old. Also, I've been on Tumblr since 2007, so go away. But like, you know, <laughs> I'm here before you, before you were sprung. But like, uh, I don't deliberately seek out to be a role model for kids because I think that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, if any a young person or even anyone if it doesn't be a young person yeah finds some sort of inspiration from me or from my work or from like it's like oh you posted this thing the other day and that helped me a lot for example mm-hmm. that that's very gratifying it's like oh hey i've i've done something good <laughs> yay i connected with someone and yeah. usually because of something that mattered to me and now like we have this shared experience and that's great yeah all right, two more quick questions. Um, some folks complain that the stuff we put on social media is too happy focused and it's not a full picture of what most people are. Do <laughs> happy folks have they seen my post lately? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> not, but this is why I like following you is because yours is more real. So I, in some ways I agree with these people that there are a lot of people that just post the good stuff, the pretty stuff, the happy stuff, and they don't have a full rainbow of emotions in their profiles or in what they're putting online. Mm. Do you think that happiness obsession exists? Do you think it's a stage in the internet maturity, or do you think that's just what we do online? What we will do? I mean, I don't, I don't see a problem with like people only posting happy stuff online. Like, I don't think that if if it's an addiction or obsession or whatever, I don't think that's really an issue. Mm-hmm. Like you putting your life online is a very vulnerable position to be in. And if you don't necessarily trust that whoever has access to your online profiles can really hold yeah. your dark, difficult, sad parts online, then why put it up there? Like, you know, maybe you want to just keep that to people you specifically know can hold that space. Yeah. And yeah. if you feel like the only things you are comfortable putting out in the world are happy things, then, that's fine. No one is entitled to every part of you. Of course. And I no, think, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think like when people talk about like, oh, you only post up the positive things. I'm like, why? Because uh, do you feel like you are entitled to every last bit of this person? And then like, you know, on the conversely, when people yeah. do talk about like stuff that's more dark or hard, mm-hmm. then you get complaints of, oh, this is so depressing. Like, no one wants to hear that or, or you're just bringing us down like why do mm-hmm. people care so it's been like well okay you so you, you complain no matter what that's that is true yeah the yeah we do complain a lot right it's like nothing nothing anyone can really do is gonna make everyone happy you know like either it's not either it seems too polished or it's too raw or mm-hmm. something like people talk about oh i don't want to know about what you had for lunch whatever I was like, oh, but your post is, you only ever talk about your promotional. You know, it, it's like, someone's going to have a problem with it, no matter what. Yeah. So I feel like, so if people like want, and especially with the world right now, just being so full of bad news every so often, if somebody decides that they just want to keep their Instagram feed full of happy smiles, let them. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. great, you know, that that's how you feel like you want to interact with the world and it's only fun. You want to keep like all the other stuff private. That's totally your call. Yeah. And alternately, yeah. if you feel like there's some value in you in being more openly vulnerable or like, you know, if talking about your the dark parts openly helps you, like it does for me, because that's how I often manage to get people to find support or assistance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Great, you know, that that's that's something that works for you. Everyone has their own way they negotiate with the internet and they you know, negotiate with the world at large. Mm-hmm. And however they want to curate that space is totally up None of us have any entitlement to any other person's part of their life. It's all up to the other person. No, that's a really, really good point. There, there is a sense of in that in that complaint of everything being too happy online. There is that sense that they do have some sort of right to ourselves online. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Man, oh man, oh man. Okay, what do you think we're gonna do differently online in the future that we don't do now? Ooh, I think some of it depends on what sort of technology will come up. Mm-hmm. So if there's some sort of new media ability to create something. Yeah. We'll see where that goes. Oh, what well, did you really online can do now? Why smell o vision on a thing? I just want smell. I just want perfumes. <laughs> I really want that. I really want that. The people are working on the touch stuff, and I don't care about that as much as the smell. I, do. I mean, I tried to touch stuff too, but like, oh, like, yeah, smell. Yeah, that, that's an untapped territory right there. Yeah. Uh, what would people do differently online? Oh, God. It's hard to predict because, yeah, you know, you could say so much and then, but the thing that always happens is like the one thing no one ever saw coming. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's true. And it changed, it seems to change really fast. Like things will stay the same for a little while and then there'll be like a burst of, oh, I didn't even know that could happen. Wow. Okay. Right. Exactly. Or like things come back, like podcasting came back, you know? Yeah. So it might, we might find a return of something. I want, you know, I kind of wonder if it's going to be a resurgence in like old school programming languages because I learned how to use Pascal and no one uses Pascal anymore. You know Pascal? Really? (laughs) I took computing lessons as a kid and that's what they taught us to program in. Wow. God, my first language I think was, I think was base, visual basic. And that that kept me coding for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Python a couple of years ago, which is like night and day from any of oh, that. Oh, yeah. I feel, uh, yeah, I can't keep up with how to code websites online anymore. Like, I used to uh, hand code mine, and now I'm just like, what is happening right now? If there's... What happened to good old HTML, head, blah. Oh, you can't do it body. It's got to yeah. have CSS in it now. It has to look now. I mean, CSS is the easy part, but now it's a bit like freaking Ajax and everything. Like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Why? God, I'm old. I am an old fogey. What? I don't understand. Oh, no, it's great. I mean, visually, what websites look like is fantastic, but the number of languages you need to know to build them is right? just insane. Yeah. I can't just fire up Notepad like I used to and type everything in and be like done with it. Oh, you, you can, but I don't think it would get a lot of attention nowadays. <laughs> or maybe it would because maybe... Maybe it would be. Maybe that's the thing people can do in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's just a return yeah. to like slow blogging or like slow interneting. Yeah, exactly. So, like okay. strip down, bring back gray matter. I love gray matter. But it's like bring back um, all of that old school hand typed rustic video. Yeah. Like I had to, he really wanted to start a blog 
to, I think it was a language learning type thing. And he's like, but I, I like writing by hand. And I'm like, oh my God, why don't you write it by hand and then take a picture and that's your blog entry. Like, why don't you do right. that? But I think there's so much pressure to do like what's happening now as opposed to what, just what you're comfortable with on some level. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think I would probably read that if he did it, as long as it was dark enough that I could see it on the screen. <laughs> I think that would be really cool. Because that's right, yeah. more personal than just the type letters, as long as the handwriting was readable. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a retro thing would be the ne the next be wave great. before oh the next. Oh my god, generation. retro websites! Oh man, we go back to like that'd be awesome. Early two thousand teen girl blogging, because that was a whole scene. That was a whole thing. <laughs> you Tables and iframes. Oh my god, iframes. <laughs> great i loved it there you go slow blogging this sort of thing there you go that's the next big thing i can do in the future just things you used to do before it all got complicated right yes 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 and yes all right last 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 question what else should i ask people in these interviews in the future what's missing what's missing um Maybe like, what is the thing they wish they could do online that they can't at the moment? Oh, okay, either because crazy. the technology isn't there yet or for some reason they can't access the thing because mm -hmm. it's like US only. I like it. That, I can't believe Like that. for me, my answer to that question is, <laughs> I wish Australia had a lot more options to send money to each other online. Oh... We yeah. Venmo does not work in Australia. Cash does not, well, I mean, not cash as in paper money, but like the yeah. cash, square cash does not work in Australia. Sure, sure, sure. If you want to send money to people digitally, you have to use your bank app and get people's banking details. Mm -hmm. There's some banks do a pay ID thing, which is like an email address or a phone number, but that's like not implemented across the board. So neatly, yeah. or you have PayPal. Oh. And yeah. so, but you know, people like, uh, it's people like, oh, can I Venmo you some money? I'm like, no. Because Venmo doesn't work in this country. Mm -hmm. So like, hey, banking systems of the world, please stop being country specific. And let right. me just square cash. Like, I'm like, a lot of my friends online, I want to support their work, but they only do square cash. And I'm like, I can't. Square cash does not let me send you money. Right. Because right. Australia. Right. No, Even though we have like, credit cards that work in any website it's just like the banking system is not compatible so there's that that is the thing i uh, to answer the question that's i just awesome. asked myself yeah no that's, then that's send money much easier ways wow yeah for sure for sure well i'm spoiled in china i don't know if you have you heard of wechat yes okay yeah so we're like digital currency is one apart it's mostly like a messaging platform but there's a, like a ton of other services on it it's it's compared to Facebook, but honestly, it's got about a trillion other functions and it's used oh, yeah. all over China and it's just a mobile phone. You can use it on, on a computer too, but it's a mobile phone app primarily. Mm -hmm. And our digital currency ability, like I'll go to farmer's markets and I'll buy like a head of broccoli and pay with my WeChat money. Oh, wow. Like everything. There are some stores, like there's a coffee shop that's really popular in one of the older parts of the city in Shanghai and they have a sign outside no cash like and they have the qr codes for like the two biggest digital currency sites like wow yeah it's like they skipped See, over i would love that here 
because I hardly ever remember to bring cash around with me. <laughs> yeah. And they'll be like, oh, we can, you need a minimum transaction of this much. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, what a pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when I go to other countries and especially when I go back to the US, I'm like, what? I use my ATM card to buy things. I use cash to buy what? It, like, it, it feels like going backwards in a way because this is such a cool system. Such a cool system. So hopefully it will spread. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the problem is that if your phone breaks or you can't access a phone for any reason, then you're kind of screwed. So having cash yeah. options is useful, but like also let me pay by my card or let me pay by technology. I went to New Zealand for a conference last year. And if you could the default to card there, mm-hmm. like cash, like you can pay cash, but it's less common. So I was like, oh my God. This is very, what? I'm very unprepared for this. I got all of this cash out and like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pay foreign transaction fees on things because it was yeah. an Aussie card, but like cards for everything? Yeah. <gasps> Which is what the is total opposite card? of Japan. I don't know if you've been to Japan, but every time. like Oh, I, ages ago, but yeah. Yeah, there's still very much so a cash society. Every time I touch down, I have to just hit the ATM and just get a stack out because I'm like, okay. Here we go, cash time, which I hate because then I have to decide every day, do I want to carry everything I just took out of the ATM or do I want to carry this certain amount around with me? Because I'm paranoid when I'm traveling about being pickpocketed or losing things or whatever, you know, things happen. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's such a cash. They're starting to take some credit cards in bigger stores and uh, like the, the bullet train and those kinds of things are starting to take credit cards, but it's a very slow switch to other currencies. Yeah. Yeah, I like having choices. You can do cash, you can do an ATM. Choices, exactly. Yes. Yeah, what do I have yes, with choices. me? What do I want to do today? Which balance do I want to deplete? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. My goodness. Well, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation. Oh, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> so I will definitely let you know a little bit before it comes out, but I'm, I'm thinking it's really, really December-ish. Okay, yep. Yeah. And um, yeah, 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 um, and and happy pre-birthday. Mm-hmm. Thank yep. you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm going to be 33 on the 26th. I'm like, how? <laughs> I don't even feel 30. How about 33? What is what is this life? I still feel 19. I'm turning 47 in December, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't understand these two numbers together. It doesn't make sense to me. You're the same age as one of my best friends, but yeah, so it's like, it, what? yeah. It, it, what do you mean? I'm almost 50. That's ancient. How? What? No. <laughs> my mother had two kids at my age. Oh my God. How? My, oh gosh, no. At, at 46, I remember my mother by the time she was 46. So she had three kids. I'm the youngest. She had three kids and, and they were very well grown by that age. Yeah, so no. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just wow. Yeah, no. I, I can't even imagine being like a half parent. How about, how did my mom do it? What? <laughs> yeah, no, age is crazy. But you know what? It's how we feel inside that matters. I have to believe that. Because <laughs> the other yeah. stuff is nuts. So yes, yes, yes. So thank you very much for joining me today for this. Well, thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you. And I will see you online. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I was going to make a clever joke. It was like, I, my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even worry about it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.